that's okay. As long as you're alive for just this one, that's all that really matters. Yeah. For now. Right. Just got to get through the next record, and then the one after that, and the one after that. I'm only worried about this one. You're just worried about this is the yeah. other, our final recording. Is this episode 15, or like 48 or 49? 48. 48. Welcome to Super Duperstitious. The Paranormal pod- blah, 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 Podcast. That's the one. And uh, what are we talking Paranormal. About? The there Paranormal Podcast, where we talk about science... Uh, Talk about science of spooky. There it is. Cool. So, hey everyone. I'm Wyatt. <laughs> I'm Jake. And uh, welcome back for another spicy week. We're into November now. We are. Halloween season has finally left us, unfortunately. Which means we are back into our normal format of each telling a story about a kind of overarching theme of the week. That's right. And this week, I believe we're dipping into some of the topics submitted to us or suggested to us by Nate, friend and fan of the show. We're going to, I guess, talk about some lost cities. We are going to talk about some lost cities. Before we get going into that topic, I yeah. do want to give a shout out to other friend of the show, Ben, who I ran into at the grocery store this past week, Hey-o. which is pretty cool. So thanks for saying hello. That was really neat. Ben and Michaela, both last names redacted, <laughs> are regular listeners. Of who, the last name redacted family. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no relation. And I did also want to commend them on what is, I think, the most efficient and effective method of ice cream shopping out there. So for this week, we did change things up enough throughout October that I have lost track of who's going first I, and who's going second. Hmm. Do we? What did we do shit? last time? Last time we did a spook witch. That's threw everything off. That's <laughs> true. They have a tendency to do that. Both tasty and <laughs> frightening. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> so I shot out scissors, and Jake put his hand back down on his lap. I didn't know what was happening. I got so scared. Quick draw. Quick draw. I'll go first. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So for my segment today, I'd like to tell the story of an almost lost town. Okay. Uh, a place that is even now in the last of its not-so-habitable days. Uh, it also happens to be a place that I've been through and remain creeped out by. Hmm. So to do this, we can head over to my birth state, Pennsylvania. Really? To, yeah, I, I was born in that. Pennsylvania, believe huh. it or not. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I got, I'm sorry, because it's true. <laughs> First three years of my life in Bloomsburg, PA, in Columbia County. Huh. Um, yeah, Bloomsburg is a small little college town. Back when I was a infant, it was like kind of a cool mix of crunchy, like academic artsy folks and just tough old mining country type rural folks all sort of kind of living together. So you'd have folks on bikes and folks in monster trucks. <laughs> so <laughs> just it's commuting in monster yeah. trucks. <laughs> and then chaining their monster truck to the bike rack. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Bloomsburg sits alongside the Susquehanna River, uh, which cuts roughly southwest along the southern side of the town. Um, Across the river from town, you can see this wall of land that rises up like 1,600 feet. And in the distance is uh, Catawissa Mountain. These are all part of the Appalachian Mountain Range. Mm -hmm. And um, it's at a point where it sort of curves roughly east-west as it works its way up towards New England. Okay. So 
it always kind of weirded me out and still does to see this bit of like elevation just because the sun lands on it in such a different way that I'm used to. Often mountain ranges go north south, if right. I'm not mistaken, and that's what I'm just used to seeing. So when it wraps or just cuts horizontally like that, it just looks weird. So if you're ever in this area, consider driving south out of Bloomsburg along Route 42, like my family did on a handful of occasions. But yeah, so basically you drive up out of the valley. It's a really steep climb. And I remember when I was a kid, I sort of expected us to just come back down the other side of a mountain. Mm -hmm. But when you get up there, you're kind of on this plateau, Hmm. like 1,500 feet up. And it just stays that way for miles and miles. Wow. Going down Route 42, it's kind of like a little bit depressing just because you drive through a series of extremely economically crippled old mining towns, basically. So there's like the crumbling post office, the crumbling church, the crumbling convenience store, and laundromat. Which is not crumbling, luckily. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We drove for about 20 miles before entering Centralia, uh-huh. which my dad announced with a kind of spooky glee because, of course, he already knew the story. At first glance, I didn't even realize we were driving through a town, though. This was in the wintertime, and the sun was like pretty low on the horizon, so there was that creepy, mm. dim, overcast light on everything. Yeah. It was cloudy as well. It was just late in the day. Looking around, dark stands of trees were sectioned off by unmarked roads with only a handful of houses in sight. I could tell most of the plots were empty. Um, you could like tell there was a house there at one point, but it's just gone now. And of the houses that were still standing, most of them were just boarded up. A lot of them sort of slanted or falling completely apart. And then I saw what defines the vibe of Centralia for me even now, hmm. which was glowing through that wintry weather, a handful of Christmas lights that had been wrapped around uh, the railing of one of these rickety homes mm-hmm. that would have looked completely dead and abandoned otherwise. Right. Also, a light coming on from inside of the house. So someone was clearly living in there, and they'd put out this little festive gesture surrounded by this, like, graveyard of a city. Wow. And not too far from the house, I saw a plume of steam just jetting up out of the snow, which revealed to me that something was on fire underground. Hmm. So what's the story? How did a once thriving town collapse to around 12 residents? I think there's only six now. Wow. And um, become inspirational source material for the Silent Hill franchise. Oh, really? Indeed. Huh. So you said it was kind of overcast and low lighting. Was it also just extremely foggy there the whole time? It was time? also super foggy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of undead people were walking all over the place or whatever. This one guy with a really big, like, kind of... Triangle head. Yeah. <laughs> Tetrahedron head. If you will, yes. Tetrahedrons will come back later. So, what do you think, Jake? What do you think happened? Um, coal mining. Yep. The end. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so, yes, mining town is indeed the short answer. But we can sort of rewind the clock, see what the town was, what contributed to its becoming this sort of lost space, mm-hmm. and then get into a little of the science behind that, I guess. Cool. Because Pennsylvania is still like the main area in the country where coal mining still happens, right? Oh, yes, indeed. Um, And we'll actually get into that after the uh, tale. Well, all right then. So let's rewind the clock. Um, I'm drawing from mainly (laughs) centraliapa.org, which has a series of pages on the history of Centralia. But I thought you'd leave it at that. It has a series of pages. 
A website, <laughs> a website with pages. This is pretty. Believe it or not, they have yes. Uh, the first website with sheets. <laughs> um, like many other communities in Columbia County, uh, Centralia was built on anthracite coal mining. So the town effectively peaked in 1890, during which time the federal census put its population at 2,761 individuals. Okay, so they're not a whole lot smaller than my hometown today. Indeed. But um, for 1890 counts, a pretty bustling yeah. community. Centralia at that time had five hotels, 27 saloons, seven churches, two theaters, one bank, and a post office, as well as 14 general and grocery stores. 27 saloons and only 2,000 some people. <laughs> and they were all on the same block. <laughs> but anthracite coal, coal in general, was sort of falling out of popularity even at the turn of the 20th century. Since fuel oil was the newer and cheaper alternative, mm-hmm. it burned more intensely, more with more heat, mm-hmm. and relatively more as a cleaner source of fuel as well compared to coal. So, And it was cheaper. Um, so that was the obvious choice for a lot of folks. Killed the coal industry, or started to. And then particularly after the stock market crash of 1929, companies which had supported the community began to shut down and pull out of there. Mm. So after years of bootleg mining, trying to sort of sustain that culture, uh, bootleg mining is where you kind of just dig your own mine shaft in your backyard, basically, and wow. sort of pilfer off of privately owned seams, I guess. By like the 1950s and 60s, it was effectively over. And then in May of uh, 1962, on the 27th, the best supported story goes that uh, in preparation for the upcoming Memorial Day celebration, uh, Centralia's landfill was set on fire at the behest of the borough council. What? Yeah. they uh, Back at that time, it was apparently not so uncommon to just burn fire. Bur- to burn fire. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turns out. Uh, to burn. Very rare these days. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, to burn your garbage. So, yeah. huh. you, if especially if you didn't have the facilities or the finances to properly move your dump to a bigger dump, I guess. Huh. Just burn that shit. <laughs> anyway, the landfill happened to sit on top of an old strip mine. So this Uh-oh. enabled the fire to find its way into the network of abandoned mine tunnels under the town and throughout the area, igniting what we now know as the Centralia Mine Fire. Mm. So the town attempted a slew of measures to combat the fire, water, drill boring to try to like pour in some sort of um, retardant, more directly into the source of the flame. Mm-hmm. Um, trench digging, which only worked to a certain depth, but none of this seemed to work. And while drilling, it was soon discovered that the fire was as deep as 225 feet into the Jeez. earth. So revised plans were drawn up that would use more extensive use of flush barriers made of crushed stone and water to try to just like contain this um, subterranean burn mm. by 1967 residents especially those along wood street i don't know where, where exactly in town that is uh were growing increasingly concerned as the fire inched closer to their homes mm. by 1969 residents began to feel the effects william and janet burster started to suffer from headaches and nausea as did their neighbor marion Lachlan. Um, additional barrier measures were implemented but over time failed as the fire worked its way slowly but steadily into town even another decade of continued efforts did not work, and into the late 70s and early 80s, gases from the mine uh, fire started to encroach on the school and the homes of Centralia more centrally. 
By 1980, the fire was estimated to be under roughly 150 acres of land, which is an incredible amount of space. (laughs) Big fucking fire. Exactly. While some residents worked to relocate, others stood their ground because they loved living in hell. Um, (laughs) People weirdly really just did not want to leave Centralia at all. Um, By 1981, the fire started to poke up through the surface of the earth itself. So you could actually see flames just like scorching up out of the ground in some areas. Oh my god. At this point as well, people were more immediately affected, so I guess a boy fell into a sinkhole and nearly died. He was just miraculously saved. And uh, a man was overcome by carbon monoxide and dioxide gas in his house, only just saved in hospital. Finally, in 83, they found out the fire was affecting at least 195 acres. Oh, wow. um, And would be too expensive to address with people still living in the town. So... At this point, the state of Pennsylvania steps in to help families relocate. They purchase properties as folks move away, and they try to evict the rest, but they resist. So Mm. even through today, there are people living in Centralia. There are six people remaining now, and the deal that stands is basically they're old enough. They'll just live out the last of their days there, Mm. and then the state will claim the last of the town. Do they say why they want to stay there still? Everything's still on fire, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, from what I've can recall reading it was just they just have always been there they, mm. it's their it's home so ain't gonna move i just can't imagine it feeling like home with absolutely nobody there it's spooky as hell absolutely yeah. so as 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 homes have been abandoned demolition crews are brought in to knock them over those that still need to stand get like buttressed buttressed indeed get buttressed up so i guess how do coal seam fires work hmm i'd heard of centralia and I was vaguely aware of, um, I think it's been more than one instance of someone accidentally igniting underground stuff like that. Like somewhere, oh, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in the Middle East, there's like some kind of natural gas thing that's constantly happening. Or maybe that's um, Eastern Europe. No, or, yeah, I, you're right, though, about that. I didn't know much about Centralia. I uh, When you said that it was just abandoned now, I thought it was going to be some kind of story of just eventually them, like any leaving kind of entirely. leaving. I didn't realize it was because... The town caught fire underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it creeps me out that it is all but a ghost town, except for these just like lingering yeah. people who like, are... No, I'd rather burn here. It's so weird to me, yeah. And to, or asphyxiate. All throughout the town, they have like pipes driven into the earth that help to, you know, siphon off gases from under the earth, like yeah. toxic gas that would otherwise and be affecting And there's no, homes. like, there's no one there to for the infrastructure and stuff to keep doing that. No, so. indeed. So the roads Weird. are all cracked and crazy and like um, very badly spray painted, which who cares? But it's still just weird, a weird scene. Mm. Well, who cares, people? The six people living in Centralia. But I, it, it has become a sort of cultural gem in its own way, especially mm. since, you know, with the internet and with these other uh, media sources like the movie Silent Hill, I guess, it sort of boosted its profile hmm. so people sort of love the town even though it's so spooky what was the movie shot there it wasn't shot there but it was used as like um inspirational material okay. apparently for the guy who was working on it hmm. um, i forgot there was a movie yeah fair yeah so how do coal seam fires work um well combustion requires a combustible combustible material combustible <laughs> a combustible material or fuel in combination with an oxidizer such as oxygen gas and exposure to a sufficient heat source above the flash point for the mix so it then needs to be able to sustain this combustion process through a chain reaction 
wherein so long as there is sufficient fuel, oxygen, and heat, it will continue. Um, these four components are hilariously referred to as the fire tetrahedron. <laughs> uh, I, was, I wasn't kidding. Yeah. Nope. So, given the need for an oxidizing agent, it might seem impossible that a fire could burn on underground for even a few minutes, let alone multiple decades. The thing to consider here is there's more ventilation underground than you might think, and smoldering combustion is the original slow burn. Uh, <laughs> smoldering combustion occurs on the fuel's surface rather than in a gaseous state. That's what we would see as traditional fire. <laughs> um <laughs> So higher heat burns more, say, oxygen available, uh, you'll actually get uh, gaseous combustion where smoldering is occurring right on the surface. So this is the reason why the flames of your campfire may die out, but the coals will remain piping hot and easily built back up for many hours after. Coal seam fires can burn for a stupid long time because of this. Um, I dug around and found Burning Mountain in australia oh under which a fire has been burning for around six thousand years holy shit and again this isn't the fire that you would see with flames this is like smoldering coals so if we were to look underneath centralia we would see less of a flaming hellscape and more of a roughly 200 acre wide barbecue pit delicious indeed uh, this may also be due to the likelihood of the fire burning anthracite coal so anthracite aka hard coal is apparently like the Maserati of coals. Mm. I, did, I didn't know anything about coal until reading about this stuff. It's from plants, right? Coal is from plants. That, that is about as much as I knew. Um, Oil is from dinosaurs. That's right. Um, so anthracite has the highest carbon content and highest energy density of all coal types. Mm. Uh, but to become anthracite, plant matter must first convert into peat, which then over time gradually may turn into lignite which then through additional heat and pressure may become subbituminous coal then finally after much more pressure and heat and time bituminous coal <laughs> and only after more heat and pressure finally does it turn into anthracite well wow, i had no idea that coal could metamorphose multiple times at all that's weird apparently it can and uh coal that is bituminous is relatively refined but contains impurities such as bitumen also known as asphalt, um, oh. which does not combust quite as well, I don't believe. So, Centralia sits in a particularly anthracite-rich area of North America. This is getting back to what you had asked about earlier, which is actually this this part of Pennsylvania, uh, Columbia County, and down south for another, you know, two-ish hundred miles or so. I'm not sure exactly how far, but um, is collectively referred to as, as the coal region. Um, so, there is apparently... As much as 7 billion short tons of anthracite coal reserves here. To put wow. that in another way, it's equivalent to 6,350,293,180,000 kilograms. <laughs> or simply 14 trillion pounds of combustible atmosphere obliterating Maseratis. <laughs> Wowzers. And I have some pictures of the area. Alrighty, I would like to see. So, that's like one of the houses oh wow that is spooky just kind of leaning over leaning a little bit desolate like no other host house no other house around <laughs> um the remnants of a street oh yeah the smoke coming out of it smoke coming up just a bit of the mine lines underneath the town oh wow so it's kind of curving down and coming back up again right so it just has mines for days mm -hmm. and then another fun take on what is a spooky vanishing town interesting 
not a lost civilization, but a lost town or a lost city in the process of being the lost. Pro- yeah, I thought that would be an interesting take. It's very the, cool. No, I like that. On the take. But yeah, so there you go. Centralia. Centralia. Wow. Well, that is a kind of a sad story, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, it's coal sucks for everyone. Coal does suck. As far as like, um, yeah, it holds together whole communities, but the people who work in coal mines, like they have, they suffer terrible health effects from it. And then the actual product used is just awful for everything environmentally otherwise. <laughs> exactly. It's just a bad, it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's sad that there's um, so much pressure put on just continuing to use fossil fuels as opposed to finding alternatives or using alternatives that we know exist. It would be cool to see companies that profit off of this stuff stepping up and starting to kind of pioneer other energies and then giving their employees the option to have that as a livelihood still. Yes. <laughs> um, and NPR actually just recently, or a show on NPR, had a segment about young folks who are getting into the en- energy industry, energy sort of training, mm-hmm. who are going directly for wind power. Cool. So, yeah, it was it was neat to have these folks who were coming out of these backgrounds in, like, oil and coal. Uh, like, their families, for instance, would, right. like, work in this stuff, and they're like, nope, going for wind now. And it's interesting, too, to hear how some of their motivations aren't necessarily environmental so much as they are just like, well, hey, the wind is always going to blow, so right. I'll, I'll always be able to make a profit. That's basically. the cool thing about sustainability is it doesn't just mean environmentally conscious. It means will continue to yeah. be around can sustain an economy <laughs> yeah exactly it, 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 it refers to a combination of factors including economic right yeah something like that it's gonna be air is gonna keep moving <laughs> turns out as long as there is air which hopefully will be the case for a while <laughs> till we mars ourselves to death oh yeah exactly well cool thank you for sharing that story yeah of centralia <laughs> you're welcome okay now let me make this so i can see the recording happen because I am a paranoid guy. Paranoid guy with vocal fry. Yeah. <laughs> so my story takes us a bit further back in time and a bit further south down the uh, eastern seaboard. At the end of the 16th century, the English decided they wanted to finally start taking pieces of this new world that everyone Roanoke. was talking about. So they set about colonizing Roanoke Island. <laughs> in what is now North Carolina. Luckily, you didn't take off too much of the uh, lead up. I wasn't trying to be coy about the whole. <laughs> no, I know. What the place was. I, I had figured, so I figured <laughs> I would be stupid. <laughs> Here's some background on that from Science Magazine. Quote The first colonists arrived in 1585 when a voyage from England landed more than 100 men, among them a science team, including a Joachim Gans, a metallurgist from Prague. Wow. Prague, if you will. <laughs> and the first known practicing Jew in the Americas. According to eyewitness accounts, the colonists built a substantial town on the island's north end. Gans built a small lab where he worked with scientist Thomas Harriet. Hmm. After the English assassinated a local Native American leader, however, they faced hostility. So weird how that would happen. Yeah, it's crazy. Pretty shitty at the Native folks, really. I mean, why (laughs) would anyone get mad if, say, a whole bunch of people suddenly started moving into your neighborhood unannounced and then, I don't know, randomly yeah. murdered one of your community leaders yeah assassinating uh foreign leaders just how western cultures say hello <laughs> <laughs> anyway after less than a year the colonizers abandoned roanoke and returned to england 
Uh, they left 15 men behind to just kind of be there, Hold I guess. down the fort. Yeah. Quite literally. Yeah, I think they had like an earthen fort there that they had mm-hmm. kind of made, so. Earthen berms. <laughs> yes. Berm walls or whatever. A second wave of colonists, including women and children this time, arrived in 1587 and rebuilt the decaying settlement. So it doesn't say so in this article, but the only signs of the 15 men who had been left behind trying to hold down the settlement were just some bones that the new wave found. <laughs> so it didn't go well. <laughs> uh, that sucks. It does. That's the thing about the first few attempts at colonizing the Americas by Europeans were just catastrophically unsuccessful. Yeah. People like to romanticize that stuff like, oh, man, the new world. And, yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to like live that way? It's such a simpler time. Like, no. And then people just show up and like, oh, I'm going to just try and mine for gold in the street. I don't know how to make crops. I don't know what I'm doing here. What the I don't fuck know how am I live. doing here? Yeah. yeah right. I'm from a city. I guess I'm starving now. <laughs> yeah. Well, bye. Shouldn't have moved here in November in or November. whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I know. Their governor, artist John White, uh, yeah, gentleman artist John White, actually, so I'm referred to as so. That was also back at the time when all the governors of all the colonies were just like random rich guys who were like, here, have a colony. Just like playboys who Be were in like charge of it, yeah. messing around. And for the most part, they tended not to even live here in this continent at all. Oh, just, really? They just owned it? A lot of times they own it and govern from England. Um, eventually, as more and more people arrived, wow. they start to actually live here. Um, So we've been renting property basically the entire time America's been around. Yep. Uh, John White was his name. He returned to England for supplies and more settlers, but war with Spain delayed him in Mm. England for three years. All right. What it doesn't say here is he returned to England, leaving behind his wife, his daughter, and his newborn granddaughter, who was also the first English person born on American soil. Wow. Uh, Which I think made her eligible to run for president when she turned 35. (laughs) Natural born citizen. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. When he returned in 1590, he found the town deserted. Every one of the 115 colonists was gone. Yikes. And the only clue was the word Croatoan carved into a tree. Hmm. Uh, some accounts say it was carved into a post, but either way, that was all it said. Croatoan. I believe that's how it's pronounced. So began the mystery of what became known as the Lost Colony. Oh boy. By the time President James Monroe paid a visit in 1819, all that remained was the outline of an earthen fort presumed to have been built by the 1585 all-male colony there we go mm-hmm. digs near the earthwork in the 1890s and 1940s yielded little the u.s national park service nps <laughs> subsequently reconstructed the <laughs> earthen maps if you will nips formed the centerpiece of today's fort raleigh national historic site then in the 1990s archaeologists led by ivor ivor noel hume of the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation in Virginia uncovered remains of what archaeologists agree was the workshop where Gons tested rocks for precious metals and Harriet studied plants with medicinal properties such as tobacco. Hmm. Crucibles and pharmaceutical jars littered the floor along with bits of brick from a special furnace. The layout closely resembled those in 16th century woodcuts of German alchemical workshops. That's cool. Wow. I never knew that. I know know the broad story of... Roanoke, but that's it. Yeah, I didn't know about like, stuff they were actually doing that. This again, the first attempt in 1585, not the one that disappeared, the one that they just tried and then gave that's up. That's right, that's right. Um, so it's kind of cool that there's still stuff there and yeah, examples of specific An- stuff people were it doing. in reality. Yeah. Uh, in later digs, Noel Hume determined that the ditch alongside the earthwork cuts across the workshop, suggesting the fort was built after the lab and possibly wasn't even Elizabethan. Nips refused to publish these controversial results. <laughs> And Noel Hume died in 2017, but the foundation intends to publish his paper in coming months. 
A cursory literature search suggests that in the five months since this article was published, his results were not. Oh. It was published in June of this year, and I didn't notice any sign of his stuff. He's dead now, but his, I didn't see any sign of that particular. His posthumous being, publications. Yes. The foundation is also gearing up for a series of new digs. In September, archaeologists will re-excavate parts of the workshop, seeking clues to its size and precise design. In October, Foundation and NIPS archaeologists will excavate along nearby bluffs that are rapidly eroding. They are applying new dating methods to sand around a post hole near the shoreline. And after a century of work, they know which areas to rule out, huh. which is by the fort, Klinglehofer says. <laughs> I don't know who Klinglehofer is. I think he just appears in this article out of nowhere. He's confident that the... It is me, Klinglehofer. <laughs> yes. I've arrived again to interrupt your article. <laughs> He's confident the extensive new excavations will be more successful and is eyeing more sites for 2019 digs. So this is all looking ahead to this fall, i.e. the past two months. <laughs> um, right, right. A cursory literature search suggests nothing major has been found. Warp. They're just looking for any signs of anything. Yeah, just to learn more about the stuff that was there and more right. about the lab that was there and more about just generally... What's going for on. For the sake of archaeology. Yeah. Good times. Dig up the stuff, learn about the thing. Exactly. Uh, some geologists think the settlement has outright vanished. Recent studies suggest that shifting currents and rising waters inundated the site in the past couple of centuries, says geologist J.P. Walsh of the University of North Carolina hmm. in nearby Wanchies. On a recent research trip um, into Albemarle Sound off of Roanoke to collect cores, he pointed to a depth finder that revealed perilously shallow water. Hmm. This was all land back then, he shouted over the engine. <laughs> I like to imagine the engine was off and he was just shouting it into the sea. <laughs> Over top of the engine. <laughs> or, yes. Physically. <laughs> or that he um, just <laughs> spoke always like um, Agent Cole from Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Coop, you remind me today of a small Mexican chihuahua. <laughs> hey there, Coop. <laughs> he estimates the island's north end has lost about 750 <laughs> meters in the past four centuries and that strong currents and hurricanes buried any artifacts. Klinglehofer rejects that idea, coming back in to say <laughs> no. Nine. <laughs> saying the loss of land, quote, is more likely to have come since the last ice age rather than after 1585. Uh-huh. Guy hmm. Prentice, an archaeologist from Nips's Southeast His name is Guy Club. Apprentice. Guy Prentice. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's still an interesting name. Yeah. Guy Prentice. So Guy Prentice was an archaeologist from Nips's Southeast Archaeological <laughs> Center in Tallahassee. Guy Apprentice. And he agrees with Klinglehofer. If you look at the map <laughs> in the 1700s, the island's geography has not changed much. I just don't buy that a couple of thousand yards are gone. They both note that the Jamestown settlement in Virginia, founded a couple of decades after Roanoke, um, was long thought to have eroded away. But archaeologists discovered it in the 1990s and have gathered a wealth of artifacts. Uh, they've also gathered a lot of evidence showing that the Jamestown colonists were somehow even less prepared than the Roanoke oh, no. colonists. <laughs> Whereas the Roanoke folks, Rowan folks, if you will, mm-hmm. arrived at the F- end. The of, that too, arrived at the end of the summer and thus couldn't plant any crops, and then all disappeared. Fucking idiots! <laughs> <laughs> the Jamestown situation involved just so much cannibalism. Oh God. Yeah. There's a, uh, Were they less prepared or more innovative? Well, <laughs> I think a guy was like tried for um, attempting to eat his wife and put to death, 
and then they probably just ate him afterwards. Ate him. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's signs of a girl's, like a little girl's skull being smashed in to access her brains. Oh my God. Uh, for some reason. Yeah, just terrible, terrible things. Oh God. That may be a topic for in another episode entirely. The waking nightmare that would have been living through that. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Um, I'm imagining it right now. This final piece of this article. All the scientists, however, concur that today's rising seas are swiftly wearing away Roanoke's northern end. Klinglehopper feels urgency to locate the town, quote, before coastal erosion removes all traces, end quote. Mm-hmm. But if history has anything to teach, it is that Roanoke will not readily reveal its secrets. <laughs> True. So where the crap did the colony go? It wasn't yeah, exactly what the hell? huge. It was 115 people in total, but there was no sign of them at all. Right. At least with the previous attempt at the colony... There were only 15 of them, but they still were able to find human remains to prove that they had been there right. at all, and they had died there. In this case, if I'm understanding correctly, there was no trace at all. Right. And you'd think with that many more people that if they were to die there, you'd find even more human remains indicating that fact. Right. And just like with the Dyatlov Pass incident that mm-hmm. I covered in episode seven, people see this as unsolved and therefore all kinds of paranormal. Aliens. <laughs> exactly. And again, just like in that story, there's a pretty straightforward answer that right there that folks really want to ignore in favor of more exciting explanations. Which is that it was, it was Sasquatch. Sasquatch, aliens, alien Sasquatch. Which is also... First Sasquatch, <laughs> then aliens. Yes. Sasquatches yeah. killed them all. They aliens no took chance. the bodies. Exactly. Covered up the evidence for Sasquatch. And then I guess time and erosion <laughs> through the site, yes. I guess. <laughs> well, I said there was no trace at all, but there was the cryptic carving on that tree. Croatoan. Mm-hmm. For some reason, a lot of people have puzzled over this for a long time. What could it mean? Mm-hmm. What could it mean? Mm-hmm. Surely it couldn't refer to the local Algonquin-speaking First Nations tribe, the Croatoan. Nope. And surely it couldn't refer to the nearby island of the same name, nope. which happened to be home to a town of Croatoan folks. As a side note, there is no longer an island called Croatoan. It is believed that, that refers to modern-day Hatteras Island. Hmm. Where? How far away is it in relation Ah, I'm not sure. Let me see. Maps.google.com. <laughs> Does it look rowable? Definitely. So, Roanoke Island is pretty big. Um, Hatteras Island is pretty small. It's just off the south coast of um, of Roanoke Island. They're on the north side of it. It says it's an hour, 21 minutes by car, but it's showing <laughs> it in the ocean. Oh, it's a land bridge. Okay, so there's a lot of kind of general... Wow. There must be ferries or something you can get there by. Oh, I'm sure. Um... But for sure, definitely, like, you could walk down to the south side of the island and row over there, and it wouldn't be a big deal at all. Right. So that makes sense. Cool. As a possible, yeah. So not very far. Feasibly within range. Yes. So the island of Roanoke was never really intended to be the final location of the English colony. Actually, there's kind of a whole weird thing where the pilot of the ship they had hired for this journey for some reason freaked out at Governor White and was, like, pissed out. Like, we're not going any further. You're dropping it off here. We're not getting back on. you got to stay here. Whatever. We're leaving. Okay, sure. We'll we'll be here for now. And yeah, so they just right. Chose, like they ended up being on that island. I don't know what his deal was. It was strange. So they had actually talked wow. with Governor White about possibly moving the colony at some point. He's like, okay, let me get some more supplies. I'll be back. Right. In one to three years, <laughs> and we'll oh see how moving it. Right. Um. Before he left, they all agreed that they'd carve a message into a tree if they moved while he was gone. Oh. And in case they were moved under duress, they were to include a Maltese cross in the carved message. Ooh. There was no Maltese cross in the message, just hmm. the word Croatoan. Mm-hmm. 
Such a mystery what happened. <laughs> what could it have been? They went to the Croton. Yeah. Remind me what a Maltese cross looks like. Yeah, I had to look it up too. Maltese. It's like the Maltese falcon, but <laughs> cross-shaped. Looks like that. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Well, I'll post a link to a picture of one for people who also don't remember like we don't. Um, an even bigger mystery followed. In mm-hmm. subsequent years, blue-eyed, pale-complexioned children started to be sighted on the island of Croatoan, as well as figure. a few English artifacts. What could it mean? Yeah, that's a mystery. It's aliens. And it's just tinkering with the DNA yeah. of people yeah. in the area. And like interbreeding um, and all yeah, that. Yeah, abducted all of the people from right. the colony yeah. and started using their genetic information to tinker with people on the island of Croatoan. The end. <laughs> yep. We solved it, guys. Right here on Super <laughs> Duper Sicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the main question I have is how does stuff like this remain so unsolved when it seems like all the evidence for the solution has been found already? Yeah, good question. And like, why do we need to overcomplicate this stuff? Right, right. I want to refer now to parts of an article from Smithsonian Magazine from April of last year. So in 1998, um, archaeologists found a brass button on Hatteras Island, which we believe to be Croatoan Island, um, that they dated to the 16th century. Hmm. It depicts a lion, which at least one heraldry expert linked specifically to the Kendall family, who were among the 115 colonies at Roanoke. Hmm. So people got excited. They're like, oh, hey, evidence of uh, even today of where the lost colony went way back Mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. Archaeologist Carl Ewan, who was one of the teams to examine the button, was less impressed. He said, quote, everyone wants it to be something that a lost colonist dropped in the sand. He said it is more likely that the ring was common. Uh, it was a common mass-produced item traded to Native Americans long after the failed settlement attempt. Hmm. On top of that, the button was found among other European artifacts dating between 1670 and 1720. So the idea of this well just being passed. a random uh, traded item makes sense. Yeah, it was among these things from just various time periods. Right. Um, back to the article, Mark Horton, an archaeologist at the University of Bristol in the UK, says that this doesn't necessarily preclude that the button belonged to a note colonist. Quote, the fact that the ring is brass actually makes it more similar to other British examples, he said, noting that the ring could have been made in the 1580s. I would argue that it was kept as an heirloom, passed down, and then discarded. Horton is currently digging at the Hatteras site where the ring, oh, was, I said it was a button, it was actually a ring, I'm sorry, um, where the ring was discovered. The excavations, sponsored by the Croatoan Archaeological Society, have so far uncovered several artifacts that may have been made during Elizabethan times, hmm. including the handle of a rapier and bits of metal from clothing. If the lost colonists left Roanoke for Croatoan in the late 1580s, argues Horton, they might have brought along their most precious objects. Right, naturally. Yeah, over a couple of generations, they may have assimilated with the Algonquin-speaking Croatoan people, and their English heirlooms would have eventually worn out. Right. He said, quote, Oh, there's Granddad's old sword in the corner rusting away. Why are we keeping that again? Yeah, right. So his theory is also <laughs> based on archaeological finds that show that Native Americans on Hatteras manufactured lead shot and used guns to hunt deer and birds by the 1650s. There you go. Prior to this, their oh, diet was heavily um, was based heavily on fish and shellfish. Yep. So that hmm. yeah, he says the technological sophistication Horton suggests hints at the presence of Europeans before the second wave of English arrived in the area. In the late 1600s. So cool. Um, so they were already doing European type stuff before the well Europeans before started coming in. Thanksgiving force. was made exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that too could point to the presence of assimilated colonists and mm-hmm. their descendants. Wow. The article then goes on to give more of the dissenting opinions from other archaeologists who um, and why, very rightly, 
a found ring doesn't mean a found colony. Yeah, fair. Um, but what baffles me is why there needs to be any huge find to say that here is the lost colony, and why the most logical explanation that they joined up with the Croatoan people the instead of letting themselves too. starve to death, yeah, it's most parsimonious. Right isn't there. just accepted as probably the case. Let's like accept that as what it is for now. Yeah, and you then know? like look for evidence to kind of try and confirm Count, it, counteract that, or yeah, because like yeah, right. just as in science, we don't say anything in history is guaranteed without suitable evidence. Right. Like we, in science, we never say something is proven for sure. We say the oh, evidence strongly p- suggests. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you're a polite, <laughs> yes, res- self-respecting scientist, exactly. Um, I'm mostly just confused why there's a resistance to this theory at all. Like people yeah. are like saying, oh, that, that can't be what happened. Psychology, like, probably. Yeah, and why most of that resistance seems to be based on the amount of physical evidence. Yeah. So how much physical evidence are 115 people going to leave after 400 years? Yeah, right, right. That many people who moved from one spot to another where people already lived probably only brought the necessities with them. Right. Like how much stuff are they going to leave behind, especially if they assimilated to that culture and so wouldn't have like had this very european looking area of their stuff that would be like okay we don't need this we'll use this stuff like we're just going to live with them now right so long story short they probably got a friendly helping hand from the locals who saw how much they were sucking at staying alive <laughs> and they were welcomed in as part of the family and that was that pretty cool ending to their story pretty cool indeed yeah. and then we just kind of made a big deal out of it for no real reason for a long time <laughs> and continue to do so i think people just love to do that I think so too. I think people resist because and we see it kills the fantasy. It does, and as far as just resisting a theory or a hypothesis that makes the most sense, we see that a lot in science too, where people are just when they have their pet theory, they don't want to let go of it because they form an emotional attachment to that. Exactly, that's the downside to science. It's supposed to be an objective study, right? But humans will never be objective. No, there's always going to be some bit of subjective uh, input, and even in the most objective research, when you're trying to write your discussion or tell wrap a narrative around it, there's going to be some moment at which there is a subjective choice as far as how it was, you know, what you're you're going to measure, how you're going to measure it, you know, how you're going to interpret your results. And the history is all about filling in the gaps. Yes. And if you're filling it in with a narrative that you're trying to piece together, a lot of it's going to be stuff that you're just kind of assuming or guessing or wanting to believe. Right. And then when things don't fit your narrative. feels right to you. Exactly. For very personal reasons, even if you think you're being objective. It's very tricky. Right. Now, there's one last quick point I want to make about European colonization of the Americas and about our use of the term First Nations. Nice. I can't remember if I used that today or not. I, I meant to. If I didn't, I maybe just referred specifically to the Croatoan people. Um, yeah. But we, throughout the course of the show, use the term First Nations to describe yeah. people. When we say that on the show, we aren't just trying to be PC. Um, and even then, political correctness isn't just like whinging politeness. It's acknowledgement right. that right. there are other people and points of view in this fucking world. Hell Yes. Um, but First Nations specifically refers to two important things at the same time, hmm. that there were people here before Europeans decided that they wanted the place, right? and that those people were not just handfuls of disorganized nomads or whatever white people think about, but nations, whole civilizations. Right. So this is an interesting fact, not totally related to this story, but one that I think is just fun to bring up. Not fun, but important to bring up. <laughs> a very, very weird omission in history classes about the shall we say, deadly gentrification of North America, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that it occurred after a literal apocalypse. Wow. For some reason, history books make it out like colonists dug in and worked hard and tamed the wilderness and either were helped by the natives sometimes or else had to fight them off a bunch. 
and that was where America came from. Right. They leave at the part where the colonists arrive to find whole abandoned cities waiting for them. Oh. Between the arrival of Columbus and the beginning of European colonization, the diseases that were introduced to the Americas by Europeans wiped out up to 95% of the population of people who lived here already. Holy crap. Across the entirety of North America? It started on the East Coast and worked its way all the way and just killed oh so many people. Oh my God. It probably didn't get past the Rockies, maybe. I would be surprised if it got oh, all the way as far as this week. Big time limited. Because yeah, a lot of it was smallpox, and smallpox right. later came in to kill people like on purpose, the blankets and stuff. Right. And so if it hadn't reached that far, it wouldn't have wiped people out yet. It would have been, they wouldn't have been exposed probably. For perspective, the Black Death wiped out about 30 to 60% of Europe's population and was considered just the most devastating thing ever. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're talking 95% possibly. My God. Uh, for even more perspective. I did not know that. That's blowing my mind. I didn't either. Until I learned this, I was just very surprised. And when I was reading about this, I, was, yeah, I thought, you know, this would be an interesting thing to bring up. Yeah. As far as just thinking about all the early colonization stuff and totally. what had happened by then. Uh, so for I some mean, more, talk about lost civilizations, lost cities. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The population in North America is estimated to have been somewhere between 20 and 100 million people, wow. while Europe's at the time was 70 million. It's believed that uh, 20 million First Nations people died. So 20 million died. So their wow. initial numbers were probably in the middle to high end of that initial estimated range. Right. So the East Coast was at one time described by a sailor as densely populated and so smoky with bonfires that you could smell them burning hundreds of miles out to sea. No kidding. Oh, my God. So just so many people right. all along the eastern seaboard, just everywhere, right. all killed, totally disappeared, like Man. Manhattan in the Will Smith version of I Am Legend. That's <laughs> uh, so people showed up to. Like, oh, this is where we live now. Okay. <laughs> so when we talk about these colonists arriving, right. know that they weren't just showing up to untamed land and making their way on their own. In many cases, once the influx of Europeans picked up, they're finding themselves in already usable lands with nobody in them mm -hmm. and thought... God must want us here. Yeah, right. <laughs> just took it from there. <laughs> so this concludes the segment, Man. Apocalypse Profiteering. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And that's the last and little bit of- And it continues today, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yep. So oh that is, uh, people talk about, yeah, about how oh, we had superior technology and all this stuff. That's the reason that we totally wiped out the natives and stuff to, to take over the land. But a lot of it was that we already killed them- Unintentionally, maybe through mm -hmm. biological warfare, right? And like the the vast majority of the work had already been done before <laughs> we arrived. Really, smallpox colonized America. Yeah, <laughs> for for Western civilization. Yep. So, as we get into the Thanksgiving season, yeah, <laughs> think about that, you assholes. <laughs> no, but that is really important to think about. Actually, yeah. So there's some uh, two and one small story about. Uh, Lost cities, lost civilizations, lost stuff, thanks to the suggestion of listener Nate. Uh, Nate. Thank you again, Nate. And, if you um, have your own suggestions indeed. for what we could cover, please reach out to us. Contact at superduperstitious.com. Or through our Instagram. Through Instagram. That's why we've got some stories there. Or through our Facebook Fat page. Jibbuk. We do have a Twitter. I almost never remember to update it because... Yeah, that branch is man, quiet. <laughs> it's pretty quiet. But it is there. And I will notice it if you uh, say anything to us there. I'll be like, hey, <laughs> is oh, this page alive. dead? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, if you have your own stories you'd like to share about any kind of weird experience you'd like to have us yeah. talk about, maybe we could even puzzle over ourselves and try and explain for you if you're yeah. concerned about or it and want to know the truth. A solution. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> for fun. Yeah. Anything you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. And yeah. Yeah. 
Otherwise, we're we'll here catch for you. you again for the remainder of the calendar year. We're probably going to go like bi-weekly ish. Bi-weekly again. Because yeah. why it has to do a bunch of science. I have so much things to do. <laughs> so much science to do <laughs> between conferences and Australia. Yep. So we will be doing that. We'll keep bringing you the science and spooks that we so love to bring you. Yeah, we will. We'll catch you again in the next episode. Yes, indeed. Which I guess might be two weeks from now, but either way, we'll be we'll, there. You'll we'll hopefully you be there too, and uh, we'll miss you until then. Yeah. <laughs> it's been real, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you. And we'll catch you next time. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.